produced with podcasting gear from Tascam, including the Tascam Mini Studio. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Forgive the interruption, but I believe this requires your attention. Meanwhile, at the above-ground underwater suborbital volcano lair... Sergeant, we need a response team. We're already putting together the best man. With all due respect, sir, so am I. I have a plan. <laughs> it's real! Mighty Marvel Geeks. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. Well then, son, you've got a condition. Your show about all things Marvel with Mike, Kylan, and Eric. What a bunch of losers. I am group. That I did know. These people may be isolated, unbalanced even, but I believe with the right push, they can be exactly what we need. Suit up. I'm bringing the party to you. I have indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready. And welcome to another issue of Mighty Marvel Geeks. It is the Intrepid Trio, Kylan, Eric, and myself, Mike. And we're being joined by director, special effects guru. Um, I'm going to say he's currently the director of a film out called City of Gold. If you want to hear about that, go check him out when he was on with us back in November on Weeby Geeks. Because we're going to, part of the deal of him coming on Weeby Geeks was he talks all things Marvel with us here. Because he worked on, as I call it at times, X-Men Days of Future Past, Present, uh, Whenever, but no, days of, X-Men Days of Future Past, and worked on Wolverine, mm-hmm. um, X-Men Origins, Wolverine, no, not X-Men Origins, just Wolverine. Just, just Wolverine. Just Wolverine. Yeah. I'm trying to remember yeah. the films, because um, right. we went X-Men Origins, Wolverine, to Wolverine, to Logan. Just playing yogurt. Oh, wait, yeah. sorry. Wrong franchise. <laughs> yeah, we went we went from bad, good, to great. That's kind of what we did there. There you go. Uh, <laughs> and of course, that voice right there is a gentleman by the name of Harry Locke the Fourth. How's everyone doing? Great, glad to be here. So, before getting into the the Marvel films, were you a Marvel fan? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think um, you know, working on those films were kind of like a dream come true because those are the kind of movies I grew up watching. You know, as a kid, I was hooked. Me and my friends, you know, we made our own comic books and drew our own characters. Uh, you know, as youth. And that was kind of the beginning of us putting things together as to how cinema worked. You know, this mixture of creating characters and creating stories. And, you know, that comic books were kind of what got me into the business. So the chance to work on those kind of movies was, you know, really it was kind of a pinch myself moment because it's like, okay, here I am working on these titles. It was really awesome. So So, when you uh, I say that you got your uh, your MFA from USC School of Cinematic Arts. Uh, did you go in, you know, saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to use this I'm going to make comics or, you know, or did, did you try to go to a comics, uh, a centric kind of view? You know, it, it's funny. It's, it's, you know, USC, um, you know, they're considered like the school that puts out a lot of the people who do blockbusters. Um, it's actually really awesome. My, I wish I had it here. It's at my mother's house, but my graduation picture, um, Kevin Fahey was actually at our commencement. And so it's a picture of me shaking his hand, you know, on, on the way out. And it's like, you know, I, 
I wanted to tell him, you know, I'm going to make Daredevil for you one day. And that was actually before the Daredevil show uh, <laughs> came out. So it was, it was really awesome for that to kind of be the culminate, culminating moment, you know, at the program. But they're known for kind of being the Hollywood school. And so, you know, a lot of school, a lot of students go there you know, uh, to not get it wrong, to not, uh, you know, uh, make like a generalization. You know, a lot of folks do go to get their voice made. And there's a lot of great indie cinema that comes out. Um, but no, I very much went to USC knowing, OK, this is the school that put out George Lucas. You know, Ron Howard went there. Um, you know, all these great names, Robert Zemeckis, you know, all these big studio movies that I love. Um, that made me want to get into movies as a, as a as a kid. You know, I definitely held USC up into that regard. And I knew going there, that was kind of the style of films that I liked were kind of these big blockbuster type productions. So I didn't necessarily go say I was going to make comic book movies, but I definitely knew going in, I wanted to make these epic adventure type films. Favorite Marvel character back in the day or even in the early stages, favorite Marvel movie? I was always very partial to um, X-Men um, and definitely Spider-Man from the Marvel Universe. Um, I mean, I think we all that Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man movie that came out with Tobey Maguire, I think was really the first Marvel movie that a lot, actually, you know, I take that back because everybody forgets about Blade and Blade was actually like a really awesome, you know, for, yeah, yes. exactly. I'm just, yes, I'm just, that was the yes. first, everybody forgets about Blade because it just stands out so differently from the rest of the Marvel offerings. But I mean, you know, Wesley Snipes kicked ass in that movie um, yeah. and Blade 2 was also a phenomenal sequel. Uh, but I think Spider-Man, as far as the traditional um, superhero, like that first movie, I remember watching that in the theaters with my best friend and we were like just blown away watching him web sling and, and watching the green goblin come to life um and i think for a while that kind of held as my favorite of course until the dark knight even though i know that's not marvel kind of came around and really <laughs> kind of changed the game as far as like superhero comics are concerned um but you know definitely spider-man was my favorite uh for the longest you know i of course i love black panther which recently came out directed by ryan coogler who was only a couple of semesters separated from me at usc Oh, wow. um, yeah, a lot, a, lot, a lot of a lot of my USC friends actually worked on that production. So because of that, I'm a little bit partial to putting Black Panther up there um, and a black. So, you know, it's like that helps. Too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's that too. Let's 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 keep it real. So. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, this is no, awesome. No, no, wait, <laughs> this, this is a new this is a new revelation for me. I thought you were from Mars. But, all right. I tell a lot. Are, are you are you sure, are you sure you're not scroll? Yeah, I can't I can't I can't reveal that until uh until uh, uh Captain Marvel comes out. So you know. <laughs> plus he's got his headphones on, so we can't tell. Right there you go. Uh, I, I'll accept the answers for favorite comic book characters but movie wise I'm sorry you, you gave a wrong answer I gave a wrong oh, answer no answer. no, no. He, he wants you to go back oh my god he's gonna go back no he's gonna go back I know where he <laughs> wants to go I don't, know where he wants to go Harry Lake it's the, a trap the, it's the very the very first Marvel film Howard the yeah. Duck oh Howard instant <laughs> classic yeah the instant oh, classic uh, and I hate to say this Mike oh my god I came, I said I wasn't gonna tell you this I this, uh, this was a real 
revelation to me the other night. But Howard the Duck is technically, uh, it could be considered the first movie of the MCU because it is canon. Yeah, he pops up in Guardians Guardians of Galaxy too, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yes. But technically, technically, Howard the Duck is not canon. What do you mean? That film is not canon to the current MCU. Because it's not canon to the current MCU. There's no references. Yeah, yeah, but the the events in, technically, all that happened in the past. So you're then saying saying Blade's (laughs) canon as well. That's not true. No, because Blade, Blade has not been, has not been included. See, because Guardians of the Galaxy references Howard the Duck and according to Marvel everything that happened in the comics is canon and the comics references the movie therefore the movie is part of the MCU wow see what you stumbled into Harry (laughs) (laughs) wow that was deep okay I I agree with him why not (laughs) look I have a philosophy degree I I gotta be in logic I got A's everywhere else so it's all good it can't be argued with I'm with him. (laughs) Going deep with Harry Locke the fourth. (laughs) Oh, but anyway. (laughs) Okay, I have a question. Okay, Uh, so you 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 were you you loved X Men. Uh, So you 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 got to work on Wolverine, which leaned heavily on. The only way I know it is the the Japan story, right? Which was great. Uh, yeah, because I don't think it. I don't think it had an actual name at that point, and which it actually was the first trade paperback that I ever owned. So, were you familiar with this story when you were put on Wolverine? You know, I was only familiar with. I remember the animated series did some version of exploration yeah. of that with Lady Deathstrike. Yeah, and I was. So I was. I was familiar with it in terms of that, and I knew also that they weren't being a hundred percent faithful to the material so you know i knew there was going to be some adaptation that was going on there and you know i think this goes back to you know the last conversation on the last show that i had with you guys it was you know i really feel like the first two acts of that movie did a great job at kind of following that narrative, doing like its own spin on it. But, you know, that that whole storyline was really this great character exploration of Wolverine, um, of Logan. And I feel like they did a great job of that in the first two acts. And then, you know, act three was like, okay, this is a Hollywood movie. You know, yeah, bring yeah. on all the Hollywood tropes, and it kind of just went like off the rails. But you know, I I went back and I and I did look at the original, um, you know, trade the original series of that, and and you know, while they diverged from some things, I did I did like the things that they did in the movie, um, yes. following his character. There were some things that I really thought they could have went um, deeper. You know, there's that whole part in the movie where um, he loses his powers, where he starts losing his healing factor, and yes. I think I think it was in that movie or is in one of the previous X-Men where they ask him when his claws come out, they ask him, does that hurt? And he says every single time. And I thought, you know, with his healing not being there, it was like, you were really going to see him. Like it was going to, you know, hurt him to have to pull these blades out, which would have been a great like moment, right? Like he's fighting through this pain and, and like, they just completely forgot about that. You know, I was like, I have a lost moment, you know? Exactly. I I, I kept thinking, because like in the comics, uh, like when it happened in the comics, especially there's one part 
One one issue where I think is after Magneto rips the uh, adamantium from his bones. Right. And like there's this one part, like the first time he pops his claws and it comes like uh, it breaks the skin. There's mm-hmm. blood everywhere. You could tell he's in pain. And I'm just like, I, I, I was I was kind of expecting something like that, knowing that he no longer had his healing factor. Yeah. And, you know, that didn't happen. You know. Right. I thought Because, you know, it's, it, it kind of reminds us because we just get so used to him doing the shink thing that we don't think anything about it. But it'd be cool to put that in perspective of, you mm-hmm. know, that's literally metal claws coming out of his fist. Yeah. Well, you know, that's yes. like. That's like a big moment, you know. So I, that was one I was like, eh, can, you, my, can we do pickups? I got to ask one more time. What what thing did he do? Which what thing? Wolverine, that what you said. When oh, he the goes, shink thing? The shink? Are you using a sound? <laughs> you going to give me a sound effect or something? <laughs> no. I, I just want to mark that so I could use that for a sound drop. Like okay, okay. <laughs> shink. You are the sound effect now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't yeah. sign a release for that. So <laughs> I, I remember what you're talking about in the comics where uh, there's a, there's a scene where he's um, lounging around with Jubilee and he's and just for no reason. He's just popping the claws, you know, mm-hmm. out in and out, in and out, in and out. Yep. And she's kind of like, dude, don't you like bleed a lot when you do that? He goes, no, I'm just trying to keep the channels open, kind of like Pierce Steers. Uh, yeah. 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 But but you're right. I mean, it is it, it, it is you are with this healing factor. He is slicing his hands open right, right. every time he does it. You don't think anything about it because his healing factor heals everything back up. No blood loss, no nothing. Right. But yeah, I mean, you would think that he pretty much is on the, the verge of bleeding out every time he pops them. Yeah. Without exactly. Exactly. That's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Now, you were a graphic artist on uh, Wolverine. What particular aspects of the movie did you focus on? It was uh, there. So, and I should have researched this again because it was the same thing that happened last time. But the, the Japanese magnet or whatever his name is, like Yamashiro or yeah, I get them confused uh, with that, that Yoshimiro. Yoshida. Yoshida. Yeah. <laughs> The guy that his company, his kind of corporate logo that he had. There's a scene where where Logan goes into uh, when he first arrives in Tokyo and they're driving him through the city. And you see that that logo is everywhere. And so basically what they had us do was design tons and tons and tons of like temp graphics for them to place that in. Um, and I remember it was close to Christmas and they were like, you know, you know, everybody was trying to get out and go home and they're like, okay, we need a bunch of these different designs. I think we must've made like 150 of them and you know, two of them made it into the movie, which was great to see. I was like, okay, well at least something got in my, my supervisor <laughs> at the time was like, honestly, you'll be lucky if they use any of these, if they even open up the file. I was like, okay, that's, that's encouraging. <laughs> at least I got to see two of those actually land um, in the film. And that was actually why I was working on Days of Future Past. I actually got brought over to help um, a little bit with that assignment. And so that was the little bit of interaction I, that I had with, with Wolverine. And, and, and granted, at the time that I was working on these movies, I was also um, basically going to USC. So I was an intern, technically an intern on these productions, um, even though I was doing, you know, high level work on these things. You know, it's all of a way for them to like not really pay you what you're supposed to be paid is what I feel like. But it was also the the experience to, uh, to, to be on those and have those on my resume before I graduated was an awesome experience. So you 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 graduate with Marvel credits, yeah. on your resume. Yeah, you didn't get paid for it, but you're getting uh, okay. Yes, yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> you see, right, it adds up. Clever. It adds up somewhere. <laughs> no, no, wait. There's three big old rips across his diploma. You know, so yeah. like, Wolverine signed it. You know, wait, right. that's that's almost like what happened with uh Tom Brevoort. No, he he was talking about how he well he was interning at he had interned at Marvel, mm-hmm. and then you know he had gotten well he had gotten rejected for a job but got hired for a job at the same time, and and, I, and I'm just like so when I was in college there was no opportunity to have these really cool jobs so maybe I just went to the wrong school yeah <laughs> you know hey mom I'm going to go intern at Marvel see you later you know yeah it, it sounds well, it's, be back it, before it, dinner. right it sounds really cool until you're there like at you know one in the morning you know trying to place a Yoshimitsu thing on a you know track it's not <laughs> tracking you just want to go home because you still have you know a paper to write it, it was it was really intense I was tired all the time and I was always like in the back of class like you know trying to comp something together or trying to pre-comp something. it was a ridiculous time honestly it was just totally ridiculous <laughs> And you wouldn't trade it for anything else on Absolutely Earth? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I will remember it for the rest of my life. <laughs> it was see that and I the thing is now when I when I go back and watch that movie because well I'm I'm glad that you worked on Wolverine and not uh, Origins. Okay, so I'm glad about that. I missed. I dodged that bullet. <laughs> you, and so I when I watch it, I'm like I, ta- I I interviewed the guy that worked on this. I, you see you see that sign right there? I talked to him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's my finger. That's my fingerprint on the movie. There you go. <laughs> hey, you know what? And it's and it lasts. So there right, you go. Right. Awesome. <laughs> so with so with Fox coming to Disney and say they're looking for someone to do oh a Gambit movie. Yeah. Who oh. knowing, knowing how bad the choice was for Gambit and Origins. Yeah. Who would you cast as Gambit? Was it is it is Channing Tatum still playing that character? <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's the thing, and I honestly, I honestly am okay with that casting as strange as it is I feel because you know like hear me out Channing Tatum has had moments of like where he's like okay you know I feel like it's kind of like you know it's kind of like when they said uh they wanted to make a um Cowboy Bebop live action movie and they wanted right. Keanu Reeves to play the lead for that. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I mean that character is just Keanu Reeves. I'm like, why not? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Channing, Channing Tatum as Gambit. I, <laughs> I, 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 okay, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Convince Power me through it, Kylan. Power through it, buddy. <laughs> okay. Convince me. You're the movie <laughs> guy. I, I, who, you're the who, movie guy. I'm going, who would you, but if you were able to cast it on your own, yeah. say Tatum has done his version's never going to get made. Who would you cast? Um, You know who would be great? And this is going to be a sad answer because he's no longer with us. But River Phoenix would be awesome. As Gambit, uh, just yeah. think about think about that yeah. one for a second. He's no longer with yeah. that. sad, but he'd be awesome. Um, yes. Um, okay, I'm gonna go really outside the box with this one, and it's not gonna make any sense. But I think a great cast would be Timothy Oliphant for Gambit. Wow, you guys never you guys never saw that coming. But no, I, no, I think no. He would no. Kill it. I think he would kill it. Okay. I think he would kill it. I don't know I how mean, good Matt Murdock. I did not yeah. see that coming. <laughs> Well, personally, I feel like that we've already had a Gambit movie. We just didn't realize it was a Gambit movie. But when I saw this movie, I felt like I was seeing Gambit on the big screen. Which one is that? Hard Target with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Okay. 
Okay. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. he, he's walking around New Orleans. He's got the trench coat. There's that one yeah. he's fighting with the stick, yeah. fighting with the staff. I'm like, yeah. you know, okay. the only thing that's missing was a deck of cards. Right. He can't do it now, of course, but, you know. Right. No. Right. No. Have you seen Jean-Claude Van Damme? Yeah. Yeah. In those no. Doritos commercials? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Why? Why? I'm just Cause, like, dude. Because taxes are due. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why. <laughs> okay, Somebody needs a paycheck, all right? right Let's just exactly. call it what it is. Anytime oh, you see God. a big actor doing some crazy commercial, it's taxes were due. That was the answer, okay? I, I, I love your... I do like your choice for Gambit. And, and like you said, yeah. did not see that one coming. Me? Yeah. My the, the one I've been pushing, Lucas Black from NCIS New Orleans. Okay, okay. I could, uh, Yes, I could definitely see that one too. Even, even though he's he, a Mississippi boy. Right. And even, even admits to it on the show that his character is from Mississippi. Right. I could see mm-hmm. him hitting the hitting it pretty good. I can see it. I can see it. But I almost okay. Let's take this. Let, let's take this one step further. Mm-hmm. Kevin Feige comes up to you and says, "Hey, I remember you. Mm-hmm. You were in the audience when I did my well, my my commencement speech." Um, he says that you can uh, you can bring any Marvel character to the big screen in the MCU. Uh-huh. Who would it be? Ha. <laughs> It's not gonna be. It's not gonna be Howard. I can tell you that it's not gonna be. I mean, that's a good question because there's so many. I mean, I again, I love Blade, and you know, one of the one of the the films that I did. Uh, you know, that got me City of Gold was that Hellblazer, uh, John Constantine fan film. And I yeah. feel like Blade has a lot of elements that that is in Hellblazer. You know, I feel like they have a similar tone, yeah. Blade, even a little bit uh, more fun to set up more action centric pieces. Um, you know, I'm going to say, even though it's been on the screen before, I'd love to be able to do like a revitalization um, of that character to do some sort of Blade reboot, is, um, especially with the way movie trends have gone now, I think would be a lot of fun um, to do. Now, even as a Netflix show or something like that, I could see him interacting with Daredevil or, you know, Punisher oh, yeah. and those characters oh, yeah. fitting in just, just fine, you know, now, as well as having his own adventure. Would you bring Blade back- and the Punisher, I would love to see that. Oh, yeah. Would, Man, you, you, you talking you about having back- a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> Wesley Snipes, or would you cast someone new? Um, I love Wesley. I know I've heard... Um, I, actually have, I actually have a project um, that I... I'm developing where he's in the treatment. I actually have his face as like one of the reference characters. I love the work with Wesley Snipes, um, but I also think there's a lot of great fresh talent who could kind of do a new spin um, on that role. But Wesley, if you're watching this, you know, find me on Facebook and send me a message and let's figure something out. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you can do a sequel to Passenger 57. Yeah. Yeah. We will send it. We will try and tag Wesley on Twitter. Please do a link to, Please do. to this show. <laughs> Please do let him know I want to work with him. We can make a blade happen. We can do it together as a team. <laughs> now, now, if we were to, if we were to go, if we were to go younger, who would you cast? <sighs> um, to, you know, I, hitting that director side of you. I love Trevante Rhodes, and I think he is on the precipice of becoming. A great star. He was he was one of the leads in Moonlight. Yeah. Um, he had sort of a bigger, uh, well, not bigger role, but he was also featured in the Predator movie. Um, but I think he's got a lot of talent. I think as a Blade, he could be awesome. 
you know, I think he could channel a lot of that Wesley Snipes while also really doing his own spin on it. Um, that's that's my pick. Uh, Trevante Rhodes would be great for that character. Okay. Now, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. What? I don't remember if we touched on it, though, because it's just been so crazy in my world here. Yeah. Um, the X-Men Days of Future Past. You, you mm-hmm. kind of did what on it? I was a VFX assistant on that movie. So mo- mostly helping a lot of, you know, the on the technical side, making sure... All the files are managed. Everything that's coming in is kind of QC. It is coming in correct, helping with cutting it into the, the, the timeline of the project um, and then kind of helping oversee the finishing delivery of that film to the editors uh, so that they could do their thing. So a lot of the technical side stuff of that. Okay. And that is something that it, it doesn't get enough attention, in my opinion. No. Because, I, I mean, know. you have the it, – it's not the the sweet, sexy pick that, right. that most people think. It's like, oh, well, you get to, to blow up miniatures or you get to right. animate this thing. But, I mean, really – you know, it's all well and cool to animate Spider-Man flipping off the the top of the Washington Monument, but you know, the, there's a lot of things that's got to happen to get yeah. that to the to the screen. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the technical side of is uh, especially those big studios. I mean, you'd be surprised how technically incapable some of like the major talent is. You know, you've got these guys who have cut movies, editors that have cut movies over 30 years, made some of your favorite movies, um, VFX guys who can, you know, comp the Empire State Building into like the middle of a desert and they don't know how to turn the Mac on, you know? So it's like they're looking at you for like, well, how do I open the program and how do I get this thing set up? And you're like, really? It was like, you don't know these basic things. So it's like we're really integral to helping them because a lot of those technical things to files, knowing the right file type knowing if it's the right resolution, the right spec, all that stuff is completely foreign to them. They are purely artists and they can design the heck out of things. But when it comes to like the technical side, they're like, man, I, I don't know. Where's Harriet? Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. See, okay. See now you, I, you just like illustrated for me that it doesn't matter if you work in a small office, a medium office, a big office, or if you're all the way in Hollywood, the boss still doesn't know anything. Yeah, it's, well, it's, they, they know that they, they, they're a big picture guy. Yeah. They know what they know. Right. But that's it. But that's it. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I work on a college campus and I encounter professors every day who are absolutely mind numbingly brilliant in their field. Yes. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's kind of like, well, how do I open a browser window? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just bless their heart. It's just outside of their wheelhouse. Right. And it, yeah, it's surprising. Yes. <laughs> it keeps us all humble at the end of the day, I feel like. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Spielberg, have you tried turning it off and turning it back on? Again? Right. <laughs> oh, my God. The, uni- <laughs> the universal remedy for any. Uh, yeah. Of, for of everything. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, it works most of the time. Yeah, yeah, it does. You get you get you can get some good mileage out of that. So, <laughs> so what uh, what shots in particular did you work with, or were you just were you with every all of them, or do you like just focus on a certain area? Like, yeah, like, I mean, usually or... it's it's all of them kind of come our way, and there's so many. I mean, I, I honestly, it's you know, you're kind of just blowing through them because the shots are coming in. You're just checking, okay, this is right, this is right, this matches the length of the cut. Um, and then it's out, you know, some of our, our, our stuff you wouldn't even know, um, you know, were VFX shots, you know, it's not as, as obvious as, 
you know, they dropped a giant sentinel or something in there. Someone just clean up. You know, there was a boom pole in there. There was a shadow in there. Um, they needed to do some beauty fix ups. You know, some of them, you have no idea what they've actually done, even though you're sitting there trying to toggle it on and off and see what's the difference between the raw take. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously with, with Days of Future Past, I mean, there was thousands of shots uh, between me and a lot of the other assistants that we kind of placed in there and made sure they were OK or, or rejected and sent back and say, hey, this isn't long enough. Um, so it's like it's hard to say if there's any one in particular. I do remember seeing the shots come in from when it was like they're in the they're fighting the future Sentinels and they're killing the egg. You know, they kill Iceman. They like snap his head off. And I remember seeing that shot and was thinking, oh, this is like awesome. You know, this is looking better than a lot of the other X-Men movies that I've seen. I remember that that sequence making me really excited. Do you remember any scenes in particular that wound up on the cutting room floor that maybe you would like to have seen added in at some point? Well, I remember the whole Rogue thing not being in the original, and then they did that whole re-release um, that put that scene or put those scenes back in. It was called the road cut. And I remember that being originally they were letting us know, okay, that a lot of that stuff's going to get trimmed out. And then before they had announced that they were going to make um, that expanded cut, um, you know, I was like, okay, that's great. Cause there was a lot of great material that was in. I remember that being the only thing there might've been some other shots. There might've been some more things where they explored a little bit of what Magneto was doing when he was planning the whole metal into the uh, Sentinels, but I, th- I think what they trimmed it down to was was perfect. Um, I remember the first cut was really long. I mean, it was definitely like over three and a half hours, which is not uncommon for those movies to have three and a half to four hour long cuts um, that need to get more di- easily digestible for the mainstream audience. Are there any elements from, I'm assuming you read the the Days of Future Past comics, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Are there any any bits in there where you wish that maybe they had gone to a little bit closer in the comics or you're just looking at, you're looking at the way the movie turned out and you go, you know, I'm I'm glad they went on a different direction on this. Yeah, I I mean, I feel like they made that storyline as easily understandable for like, you know, my mom to look at than, you know, than than, than us. You know, I always feel like those movies, it's so easy to go into it's such a delicate balance to like explain to like the heart i mean the hardcore audience gets so many things inherently that need to be explained um to like the to the mainstream to the casual moviegoer um and especially days of future past easily ran the risk of being so involved in its own jargon that the casual moviegoer would be like you know what is going on you know especially because right. you had the old x-men cast the new x-men cast um that easily could have gone off the rails and i think um they did a, a brian singer did a great job you know with that one and making sure it was contained and, and that movie had some magic to it that i mean i don't know what happened with x-men apocalypse it's probably because i didn't work on it they lost like that charm <laughs> <you know? laughs> But, I mean, but, but I mean, you look at that movie and there's like no charm to that movie whatsoever. Like, I don't like any second of that film. And, and even though I love Oscar Isaac as a as a talent, I mean, he's so terribly miscast as Apocalypse. It was just like, mm-hmm. what is happening? He looked like Ivan Ooze. I was like, what? what's happening in this I, movie? I think it, it, it looks kind of like a Mighty Morphin Power Ranger villain. It is. does. Yeah, he does. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I, I'm loving the Ivan Ooze, I, Ivan Ooze reference. I, yeah. Like, I, I, I can't. I'm not 
not enough for me to go back and watch that <laughs> Power Rangers movie again because I made yeah. that mistake once, but it was all right. <laughs> well, I, I think, too, um, if they had used the actual... Uh, the, oh, I can't remember. It was the makeup artist who actually did some other MCU films. He made a better Apocalypse head that made Apocalypse look more intimidating and more I like I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of his name. Yeah, I saw that. I remember seeing those images, too, and I remember thinking that was like way better than what the yeah. movie and it's always it's always embarrassing when some fan-made work or some non-official work comes out and like makes this multi-million dollar behemoth look like garbage i always think that's like the most yeah. embarrassing thing that can happen yeah. but i mean that, i mean that, I, I don't know i don't know what the thought process was be- behind this look but it was it was not it was not good. It was not good at all. You mentioned Brian Singer. Did you uh, did you, did you interact with him a lot uh, while you're on the on the movie, or uh, or do you really when you're working on visual effects and and, and other sorted things like that? Uh, do you get to interact with the directors that much? It's not common. There was a couple of times I did get invited to go down to like the sound stage, and I got to meet. Um, him, I got to meet Hugh Jackman, I got to meet um, Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, all those guys, which was rare. It wasn't like every day of the job. It was over that year of, you know, working with it. It was maybe like, it was those singular times where I got to see that kind of interact. Um, and there was a couple of times I got to meet Brian and outside of me telling him, hey, I'm going to USC too, you know, hey, you know, <laughs> Trojan. Um, you know, the, the, the crazy thing was, you know, at the time, one of my professors at USC, who was one of the sound professors, um, was ag- actually the mixer on the first X-Men movie. And, you know, he told me something I didn't get at the time, but sadly, we all found out later because I asked him, I was like, oh, yeah, I got to meet Brian on the movie. He was like, oh, did he like invite you to Hawaii? And I was like, huh? He was like, oh, you'll find out later. And then, of course, all that scandal came out um, recently, you know, months ago about all the scandals with him and all the 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 boys and everything like that. And obviously, I think that's one of the things that chased him off Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, which is like, you know, super sad because it's like, here's a guy that I got to meet on set. I was super excited, you know, to meet him and kind of watch, you know, as he directs. And it was, it's crazy to see how in a span of someone making great art and then the stuff that happens in their outside life can kind of change perception of, you know, that person. So now it's like, I look back at that with like, you know, kind of a weird look, like it was cool to see it happen, but you know, I don't know, you know, Mm -hmm. it's one of those weird things. So. I don't know if I wanted too much more interaction. I think what I got was good. <laughs> I think what I got was good. I like what I had. <laughs> oh man! All right, so all right, so uh, did you? So as you're watching this, watching going through the process, and uh, you're watching the these scenes being filmed, did was there ever a scene where, like, it, as you're watching this, you're like, okay, this looks like this looks cool. It's gonna be really, really cool. But then once everything is said and done, and then you get you see the final cut, or you see a final cut of a scene, and it looked nothing like what you saw, and it was like, oh, this is crap, or this is even better than I imagined. Um, there was a scene, a sequence early on um, where they had Magneto destroying one of the Sentinels. And in the previs, it was 
this epic shot where he kind of almost like that shot where he had Wolverine arched over and he's like pulling all the adamantium except for he, he had like the sentinel above him and he was like dismantling it and then throwing the parts down at the people below and I think that got turned into the scene where he lifts the football stadium and then he's kind of got that surrounding him and all the sentinels are kind of leading with them, which was cool. The, the, the previous, though, the Sentinels themselves also looked a little bit more comic accurate. And, I, and while I thought yeah. they did a great job with the future Sentinels, I, I didn't really like the final design that they did with the past Sentinels. I yeah. thought there, there was a version in one of the concept drawings before we got into actual uh, creation of them that I thought actually looked because it looked more like the comic book. Um, yeah. I think whoever did that apocalypse design did the uh, the Sentinel. Ah. So I was like, I, was like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about I, these. <laughs> like I, I was, I was surprised. I was pleasant. I would say I was pleasantly surprised with how the how Sentinels. Okay, with how the the future Sentinels look. They 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 were pretty comic accurate. Right. Uh, the past ones. I was okay. Ne- I, I was. It looked better than I expected it to look. Yeah. But they were. <sighs> They look like vacuum cleaners. Yeah. Yeah. Like made by Hoover. I was about to say Dyson made Sentinels. Yeah, Dyson, the Dyson they, Sentinels. They, yeah, that, that that one thing like that little that little jet in the in yeah. the I'll say okay, it makes sense, I guess, but I right. feel like if you have the technology to be able to make these giant mutant hunting robots, yeah. uh, I don't know. It seemed like you'd come up with a better propulsion system than right. you know. Uh, I, yeah, but that that was like the only uh, that always bothered me a little bit. But yeah, the future ones were yeah. I, I, I feel like those were pretty much on point. Yeah, yeah, the future ones were awesome. Um, yeah, the the past ones I don't know. It was a little bit questionable with the way they yeah. came out looking but the concept art they had at one point looked very comic accurate and it, they looked awesome so i don't i don't know what happened <laughs> <laughs> man yeah because the future ones get into corners well that's right. what i'm asking yeah <laughs> <laughs> you can't use them on the shag carpet right <laughs> Now, would Days of Future Past, would you have kept the, what they did by sending Wolverine back, or would you have kept clo- uh, closer to the books and, and sent Kitty back? Um, I mean, I love Hugh Jackman, and he plays Wolverine, so I mean, it's hard for me to fathom that he won't play that character again. Um, and I, I did like how they made it his perspective. Um, I could always use less Mystique in these movies because right. even though I love Jennifer Lawrence, the idea to make Mystique a hero is baffling to me. Um, yeah. That's the one thing I, I, we re- I really didn't need more story associated to her. Uh, and that's no ding against Jennifer Lawrence because she's a fantastic talent. It's just yeah. the way they've been using that character is... It's just, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, Some characters make better villains than they do heroes. Yeah. They do. Yeah, they I do. struggle Mystique with Mystique is one, Loki hero. another. Yeah, yeah. I struggle with seeing her as a hero. I, I, I don't like, I, I don't like, I, and they, they really tried to push it in Apocalypse, and they're probably going to try and do it in Dark Phoenix. Um, but no, I didn't have a problem with Hugh Jackman being the focal point, or Wolverine being the focal point, because I think he plays that character really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have to say but, he's probably he is probably the best Fox casting. Yeah. Asi- yeah. Aside from Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds right, right, we, right. We just we just set that aside in its own little category. Right. Right. <laughs> well, you know, it's like the thing is through the movies, you haven't had enough. And inter- we haven't had enough interaction with uh, Kitty. 
be anyway. So to suddenly have everything, have this from her perspective might have thrown people off because a lot of people would have been like, you know, you at the most you get like maybe 20 minutes of her, you know, from each of the movies. So yeah. whereas Wolverine, you know, we, we, you know, we lived and died with him. From so day one, yeah, from day, from day one. one so. so, yeah, man. <laughs> Um, so, uh, well, I don't know. Well, you probably can't tell us if you're working on any uh, future X projects, can you? <laughs> um, well, no, I can tell you right now I'm not. Uh, mostly, you know, I was working with Fox Studios from the time, right about maybe like a few months before I graduated from USC, which was right around the time that I got hired to do um, City of Gold. And then a lot of the stuff now that I've done has been a lot of freelance stuff, um, working with like a lot of independent films. I'm actually involved with that, um, that um, Darth Vader fan film from Star Wars Theory. I'm actually the colorist on that one. I don't know if you guys, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm working with uh, those guys. There's actually a couple of USC guys were behind that one. So that's kind of the most comic booky franchise thing that I'm working on right now. Um, but it, oh, as and for that now, counts as Marvel. Yeah, that counts as Marvel, so it's good. Yeah, that does. So I'm still okay. So I'm still in the wheelhouse. It's all good. <laughs> okay, so I gotta ask the question now that you've brought it up. Mm-hmm. You say you you work you worked as a colorist when I was in the comic book industry. That's what I did mostly as well. Okay, awesome. But um, but I gotta ask, how, you know, what what kind of things does a colorist do on movies the versus yeah. versus the comic books? The, the colorist, which is probably the same for the comic book colors, is he's the he or she is the person that goes in and makes it look good. Um, you know, usually I like that answer. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I like I like I used to, you know, the coloring is like the, the only real post-production gig I really like doing because nobody gets mad at the colors because the colors is just making everything look pretty and everybody loves you. You know, nobody there's no OK, this cut, you know, move this to the left, move this to the right. It's just like, oh, wow, this came. I remember when this looked desaturated and ugly and mucky and you brought all the colors out or you gave it a certain look or man, this movie really feels like a movie now uh, because of what you've done. So the, the colors really goes in and really gives the the tone, you know, the footage. Usually I'm working with the director and the director of photography um, to give a movie a look. Uh, usually when they, they shoot with the cameras, especially the high-end ones like the Red and the Ari, it's a very flat, desaturated, raw look. And so that gives me a lot of flexibility to go in and really – give it a style, make it look cinematic or, you know, it can be very cold in tones, very warm in tones or kind of that block that Michael Bay, you know, great that we're all used to, um, you know, the colorist is the person who goes in and, and tells the story literally through a color palette. You know, we're the one that helps gives the film its visual identity, which is awesome to, to be a part of. Michael Bay, who oh. only person who could take a circus in the middle of the desert and make it feel like it's in London. I know. And God bless him. God bless him. You know, I remember I remember I did this short film at uh, USC, which which had some very uh, Michael Bay-esque moves to it. And I remember we had this very, you know, highbrow um, uh, professor who was like, oh, you know, Mr. Locke, we don't we don't teach Michael Bay movies here and i remember my answer to him was well was i don't think michael bay has any student loans to worry about so i'm gonna keep doing that and the look he gave me was just like get out of my class 
<laughs> right now, I was like, well, me and Michael Bay will be over here shooting Victoria's Secret models cash and six-figure checks. I'll be okay. <laughs> uh, you, you, you have a point. You have a yeah. very valid point, you know? <laughs> I give Michael Bay his props. I mean, he 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 has a certain. I mean, he has. A, I, I give props to anybody who has a, 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 a trademark, a thumb, someone who you can look at their stuff and you can say, okay, that's a Michael Bay project or that's a Mar- uh, Michael Mann project. You know, having your own voice mm-hmm. in any art, you know, whether we like it or not, is is it's really hard to do, especially because so many people emulate things. Um, to be able to put out something and someone to say, oh, this is definitely a so-and-so project, I think is one of the greatest things you can accomplish as an artist. So for that, I tip my hat off to him for sure. And I, yeah, love I mean, the, he's Elder definitely Grace. got the success for it. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. You like him or not like him. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 like, it's like John Woo movies, like no matter the John Woo movie, there's guaranteed to be a scene where somebody's walking and uh, for whatever reason, a flock of birds. Doves. Yes. The flock of doves. Yeah. A, flo- a flock of doves. <laughs> and you know, right, right before the violence is about to ensue. Yes. And I'm just like, okay, I know what's about to happen now. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Little old ladies walking down the street you know at some point she's going to jump to the side whip out two pistols and shoot as she's going down yes yes we, we know if there's a microphone on a stand someone goes up to it to get feedback every audio engineer in the audience wants to kill that person <laughs> i'm not by jumping to not, the side and whipping out two pistols, pistols. and shooting i'm not <laughs> saying but i'm saying right well, <laughs> It's like, sorry, See, now, if, if it was done right, which most likely it would have, that person would have not ever experienced feedback. But it's just someone who got pissed off by the audio guy. <laughs> do, you, do you teach a seminar on how to not feedback your microphones? That could be very crucial for a lot of people. From what I heard, that whole thing started because... Somebody pissed off the audio guy. They didn't like the response they got back, so they decided, oh, so we're going we're gonna to say we need feedback whenever someone comes up to a microphone just to piss wow. off the audio guy. I'm like, yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, you, you, obviously you enjoy doing colorist. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. So you know all the hats that you have worn behind the scenes, and you have worn many. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, what would be the one that you enjoy the most? And if colorist is the one, then the colorist is the one. But also, what is the one that to this day you look back on it and go, "Man, I can't believe they actually let me do that." <laughs> Well, you know, a lot of those, the the they and letting them do it was myself because, you know, a lot of those earlier projects that I directed, it's just like we just didn't have the funds to pay anyone to do it. Um, so I just had to learn how to do it because I couldn't, you know, pay anyone to do it. And I remember the first film, the first full length endeavor I did with, with some buddies was this hour and a half long movie called Noir, which was like this... Um, this gritty crime thriller in which we played hitmen uh, of this secret organization trying to take each other out. And we're like, we're like 17, you know, at the time <laughs> playing like these like grizzled, you know, I killed a hundred people. And, you know, it's like, I look at Christmas, you filthy animal. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I actually composed the soundtrack of that movie. And I remember, you know, the nicest comment we always got about the movie was like, man, this music is like, this music is pretty good. Not nothing about the movie. <laughs> but it, was like, it was like, yeah, the soundtrack is like, like strangely really dope. And I remember a bunch, so many people asking me about the soundtrack. And I remember I, I ended up printing out like 
CDs of the soundtrack. And people were like really interested in like this soundtrack. Wow. Um, and, you know, and I, I do, have, I did have a music background. So it was like, it was, you know, music compo- composition wasn't something that was alien to me. And it gave me a, a chance to actually um, get my hands dirty, you know, doing that. Um, but I mean, that's one of the things I love about being a director is that it literally allows me to touch all those different things. And in some shape or form, all those experiences help. Because in a film like City of Gold, where we did that professionally, where, you know, we actually had department heads and, you know, I brought on people to handle all these things that allowed me to communicate with them much easier. And I feel like they had a higher level of respect for me because I've done what they've done and I wouldn't be asking them to do something that was like unrealistic, you know. Um, So it allowed me to speak their language um, you know, a little bit easier. I just got done shooting a short film this past weekend uh, with an incredible director of photography. He's like a two-time Emmy Award nominated guy. And because I had DP'd stuff before, it was really easy for us to get shots because I would tell him, oh, let's do this or let's throw this up. And he was like, yeah. He's like, okay. He's like, well, you know what you're talking about. You know, it wasn't like I was just like, you know, well, can we just make it look good? <laughs> you know, <laughs> just make it look good. You know, it's like you can be really specific with uh, with terms and that all that stuff has, has, has helped me in some way. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so did you ever expect yourself to, uh, or dream that you would be as far as you are in your career at this point? Or, you know, are, are you surprised by that? Or did you, are you where you expected to be? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm always, uh, so I mean, I started doing this in, uh, 2006. It was like right before I went to my undergrad, um, college which was ohio state um and so for me to still be doing it this long is 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 awesome you know i definitely am grateful for all the opportunities that i have had and that i'm still receiving um you know it's 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 i've learned a lot you know and i've had a lot of great opportunities definitely would love to be you know i'm, I'm constantly practicing and, and reinventing my directing skills to get ready for that next level to get ready for that next jump um right. so that, you know so that hopefully i can do one of these big studio productions and that's definitely where i'd love to be you know the next you know three or four years is doing something that's in theaters everywhere you know so i can be on this show with you guys talking about hey remember when i did city of gold well now you know you know the new blades coming out you know just like we talked about it you know here we are you know i hear they're gonna need a new football coach uh, here in the near future you wouldn't want to try that would you we just talked about that we (laughs) just did we not just call that last week and then i remember it was like it was it was i think my twitter or my one of my sports feeds went off at um at like like five or six a.m. in the morning yesterday, I remember I had my arm around my wife and I see the phone and I'm like, Urban Meyer, what? <laughs> I'm just used to like, what's going on. And I'm trying to explain to her and like finally like, Urban Meyer stepped down. And she's looking at me like I'm crazy. Like Urban Meyer stepped down and Ryan Day is going to be the new coach. And ah, <laughs> <laughs> we just talked about that. Though. So I'm, I'm excited to see what uh, happens next year. I, I think it's the right move to make. I think like we said last week, I, I did not see Urban Meyer being around uh, yeah. next year. And right. you know, kind of like. The council, kind of like we said, this very well may set up for him making a USC entrance because I can't believe that they would bring back uh, what's his name, Clay Helton, for another year unless they literally needed him to be, you know, a stopgap for somebody else. Right. Didn't USC just sign someone for five years? Was that the offensive coordinator? They just signed an offensive coordinator, okay. but they only signed Clay Helton, I think, to a one year. Um, to a one-year extension. 
um, which I can't I can't believe that's going to be. He's a great guy, you know. Don't and, and especially in this climate of all these scandals and everything that comes out. As much as I would love to see Urban Meyer at USC, because I think that would be hilarious. I mean, that is like a match made in hell. I mean, you've got you know, <laughs> Urban Meyer has been through all these different scandals, and and you know, Southern California, we are not. There is no shortage of controversy or scandals to be found. You know, I just yeah. like how disastrous. I mean, it'll probably be a lot of fun for like, you know, three or four <laughs> years, but like how bad will that end? That's the question of not will it end bad, but how bad will it will it be uh, like uh, Michael Bay explosion type bad? Oh, oh you know there it you will. go. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> like, not I'm telling you, it's guaranteed. It is guaranteed. <laughs> I, I'm old enough to remember him being at Florida and leaving yeah. pretty much in the exact same way. It's kind of like yes. it's going good for a while, but all of a sudden problems spring up. It's like, oh, well, I need to retire for yes. health reasons. Yeah. Yes. And, and what better you know what's gonna happen? It's like what better place to go for retirement is okay, we're gonna go to Southern. In California, there you go. Warm weather, and then it's like next thing you know. Hey, you know play. what? Uh, I I can just sit around and do anything. I'm going to go ahead and. Oh, yeah, I mean, I mean, he's 54. <laughs> he's 54. I mean, what do we really think he's not going to do anything uh, for the rest of his career? I mean, even Mac Brown just got back into the coaching game, and uh, that's a man I've never figured would ever come. Oh back yeah, the yeah, coaching yeah. thing. Mac Mac Brown, I had placed as like done. Like I yeah. thought he was, <laughs> and he still looks done to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Urban Meyer being done at 54 doesn't make any sense. I suspect we'll hear he'll be moving to Southern California for warmer weather, and we'll probably be seeing him in the Coliseum by end of 2020. It's well, kind of like, well, you know, I'm in the neighborhood, so yeah. might as well. Just thought I'd come by and coach your football team. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I right, live so, right around the corner, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you, you're just down the road from me. I'm actually in Akron, Ohio, so you're down okay. from, down the road yeah. from me. I, I got to ask two things. Number one, the whole time that you were in Columbus, did you did, did you make it to the sausage house? Oh, in a uh, uh, German village? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, he never heard of it. <laughs> no, no, no. Columbus has a bunch of great little... Um a bunch of great little uh, secret places. There's the, the the German Village Sausage House. There's a uh, what Thurman Cafe. Um, oh yeah, which is awesome. And then I just found out that in some random section of California out here, we actually have a Raisin Canes. Um, yeah, and I was like, Do? Yeah, they just I was open one here in Kent. They just opened one in Kent, and I was like, What? Yes. Yeah, I was, <laughs> yeah. Really, was, a I was really freaking out. Is it? Because it started in Columbus, I thought. Canes? Canes Raising Canes? Raising Canes, yeah. yeah. yeah I, like I thought it started in Columbus. Yeah. Yeah, I know there's some. I, I, saw, I saw that in California, and I literally was freaking out. I was like, "Oh, crazy <laughs> case." Um, but yes, no. So I did make it to there. Answer number one is yes. <laughs> what about Dirty Frank's Hot Dog Emporium? That one I did not make it to. That, I, that, I, I never even heard of that one. <laughs> it, 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 well, I like, okay. So there, uh, me and my wife used to go, to go in. Yeah, <laughs> I know what it sounds like. <laughs> me and my wife used to go. To, uh, we used to go to, uh, I guess what used to be called Mid Ohio Comic Con, and it got bought by uh, Wizard World and it became okay. Wizard World Columbus. Uh-huh. So we we were going down there, and she found this place uh, because 
they had was it uh was it a drink? Uh, it was either a drink or a hot dog called the Buckaroo Bonsai. No, it was a hot dog called the Buckaroo Bonsai, which is like my absolute favorite movie of all time. Long story. <laughs> so, and so like uh, we go, and before I went there, I kind of had fallen out of love with hot dogs. Like I was just over it. But then I tried this thing, and I was just like, oh my god! It was a revelation. I'm in yeah. love. I'm in love with hot dogs again. Yeah. It, it, it was, and it was like this little place just outside. Side of downtown Columbus, and I'm just like, and then I was like, it used to, I was always about the sausage house, and I'm like, do I want hot dogs? Or I want to go uh, nine times like ten or sausage house. So you know, well, well you know what that, that reminds me. There, have you ever been to the uh, the pumpkin festival in Circleville, Ohio? Yes, I've no once. Okay, okay, wait, wait. So so you have to go. Not even for the pumpkins. The pumpkins are impressive because they're huge. But it's literally the people that run this festival look like they came out of like Tales from the Crypt. Or oh something. my god! It's literally everybody there. Look, they look like fresh out of a Marvel comic. So it was, it was crazy. I remember I went with a bunch of friends, and I remember we walked up to like this this kiosk, and the guy, it was like this this like super old guy was running this lemonade stand, and I remember he turns around slowly, and he literally had no nose. Like it was, oh, just, it was just gone, like just like a skull. And so we're all trying to sit there, like, like just like as if nothing is wrong with this. As and my friend leads it to me, he's like, "This man has no nose." And I was like, "I know he doesn't." When we all see it, we all see it. And you're and like, like, "But how does he smell?" <laughs> I'll never. That is Circleville, Ohio. I don't know what is going on in the water there. It, that place is crazy. Ohio. Okay. Everybody there. Everybody there. I don't know what was going on the night. Nice thing about the festival was it was cheap. Pumpkins were huge. Food was great. <laughs> the three important things. There you have it. There you go. There, there you go. go. There you have it. <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm writing this down right now. Okay, I see you making notes. I see you making yeah, notes. I, that'd be like going up to the New Berlin area, just south of uh, Akron, uh, southwest of Akron. Uh, southwest. Of Akron. What was it? New Berlin, the uh, Amish area. Mm-hmm. Amish oh yeah, area. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Great. Seriously, amazing food. Food. There was yeah. this one restaurant there that in that area, and they had grape pie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this grape, is, grape pie. pie. Mm. Well, this was yes. a place too where the Mennonites built a huge, like buffet style or uh, family dinner style type restaurant. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and it's east of New Berlin because they oh, what was it called, Amish Kitchen or something like that? Uh-huh. Yes, Amish Kitchen. Yeah, yeah. So mm. I had a grandmother who who lived in in Kent. So. <laughs> And I'm just sitting over here with no Ohio connections. Whatsoever. I was gonna say, I was just gonna say, like, you got you got to get some because anyone yeah, I, who's ever I, made I it in life has an Ohio connection somewhere. I mean, you look you look at all the all the greats somewhere. There's like a little touch of Ohio somewhere in your life. Yeah, my, my, <laughs> that my dad, that proves that my, Ohio. My dad was born there, so was my grand. My grandmother was born. Uh, down in a place called Lore City. Okay. Which is in Ohio? At- yeah, which is down near Athens area. Oh, okay. Ah, okay. okay. See, I don't yeah. know anything about Lore that. City is a very minor little place. Yeah. But see, that just proves that I and I and I said this, I don't know, maybe about two years after moving to Ohio. Mm-hmm. Ohio is the center of the universe. It if is. you think about it, <laughs> anything that's of any importance, especially in American culture, or which to a certain degree, yeah, or, or the world for that matter, Ohio has something to do with it. It's touched, it's everything. Everything Flight. has at least touched Ohio. Even George Clooney Flight. came out of Ohio. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody, everything came out of Ohio. Yeah, yeah. So, Flight come from Ohio. 
Ohio. Uh, yeah. Rock and roll. Well, okay. Rock and roll comes from Memphis, but no, it got named in Ohio, and I'm okay with that. Huh? <laughs> rock and roll came from Memphis, man. Don't, yo, don't, don't take that away from me. <laughs> there were a lot of salty people when the Rock Hall came to Cleveland. I was living right. in Memphis at the time. There were a lot, and their people still salty. I don't tell, I don't talk too often about that. I moved to Akron, dumb yeah. down there, cause I, I'm smart. But, yeah, but Alan Free. I'm just gonna sit here and talk about my Marshall Shoals people. That's all. <laughs> now, if you could take any Marvel movie or any Marvel characters and make mm-hmm. the movie set in Ohio, what characters would put? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> I call No Howard the Duck on this. Yeah, No Howard the Duck. Who Marvel character in Ohio? But, Howard does go to Ohio. He goes to Cleveland. Oh, does he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I still called no Howard. All right. <laughs> Actually, I got one. The, the Punisher would be great in Cleveland. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, the, the Punisher, he would clean He would clean up Cleveland in like within like half a day. Yeah. And like go go and have a pierogi by the time he was. <laughs> uh, all, all, he's gotta, all he's got to do is drop the cigar in the river. And it's, exactly. on, yeah, it's on fire. There you go. That'd be a great scene. That'd be a great panel. Like just... all, all of a sudden, the Punisher skull in the middle of the middle yeah. of the river. It'd be like one of those history books. You know, like they, they do those those stories that explain how a historical event happened. They could explain how it caught on fire. Now by the Punisher dropping that scene. That'd be awesome. Yeah. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. It could happen. And after that, you move to New York. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, there were a lot. Of, you know what kind of thing? There were a lot of mob guys in the in in the uh, like the Northeast Ohio area. I mean, they used to send them off to oh, yeah. Youngstown to oh. cool off. Anyway, Purple mm-hmm. Gang, mm-hmm. of course, you got the Purple Gang. They were the whole rhythm section. Oh wait, sorry, yeah. wrong, <laughs> wrong Purple Gang. <laughs> my, my, gra- my grandfather used to print off raffle tickets. For the purple game there in Kent. Wow, he did. Yeah, I, 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 t- I, I, when I first moved here, I, I was working for a credit union and I was like talking to some guy, and he told me about how he used to run numbers back in like the thirties. I was like, really? He's an Akron. Is that Akron, Ohio? Was Gangster Central for a yep. while? I was like, wow. Akron. Yep. <laughs> that's but hard to believe. Was. Yeah, that's interesting. That's hard to believe though. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I'm hearing X Men's Xavier Schools set in like Akron. Then how about that? Ooh. Mm. X Men no. could be interesting in Ohio, largely because you have. I mean, you already have so many people there that are dealing with like acceptance issues, just in a real world. You know, so yeah. I've got I've got a lot of friends that are in California. Um, you know, they moved out from Ohio just because you know they. You know, had a lifestyle that was like not accepted there in Ohio. So, you know, X-Men, if anything, fits perfectly there, right? Because you'd have all these non-mutants and, you know, we don't want your kind around here. Um, It's kind of perfect for that, sadly. But it's you know kinda... what you, I, I be, yeah. I mean, if I don't know if you ever, if you watch uh the, watch the gifted, but yeah, it's kind of like I could see you you could transplant the gifted from. I think they're I think they're still kind of like in the southern United States. You know that yeah. no no they're like in D.C. now. Yeah. Okay. So no they they moved up to D.C. So it's still you know you you just got moved like eight hours west. And there you go. Right. What, what right. twelve hours? What know? about the Great Lakes Avengers? The Great Lakes Avengers. The Great. All right. <laughs> I, make I, that, I make moved, them I, set in the Cleveland area. Uh, make them set in the Cleveland Browns. 
Baker Mayfield could join the Avengers. He'd be a great, like, uh, he'd bring some great flavor. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I, 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 I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight because I can't unsee that. <laughs> uh, Baker Mayfield is kind of like a Hawkeye, but with footballs. You know? Yeah, exactly. He, he has all these trick footballs that he just throws. It's like, you know, those that had a bad guy just explodes into a net. And just, you know. can, can, Le, can LeBron still get, uh, get in on this action, even though he's with the Lakers now? I feel like, you know. <sighs> Well, he's come back. He's come back to to Cleveland at least once. You know, there's right. probably at least one more return trip in him. Right. He's got all those schools he opened up over there too. So I yeah, thought, see, yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm only, I'm like uh, ten minutes away from that school, and I'm just I had no idea that he was even building that school. Like we just see this school coming up, and then all of a sudden, like oh, yeah. this oh okay, dude. Did you try to? Okay, I got it. LeBron comes LeBron. in. <laughs> I, I got it. LeBron <laughs> comes in in a wheelchair with bald right. head. In a blue suit is kind of like. Hey, Kylan. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Oh my gosh. Baker, what? Baker Mayfield's dating Doreen Green. Really? Yeah. What? He's nuts. She's Squirrel Girl. Makes sense. It does. It, uh, well, see, that's where I was going to say Squirrel Girl because I could see her going to Kent, you know, because they have the whole black squirrel thing going on over there. So. <laughs> where, how, did they, how did those two meet? That's like a weird uh, well, combination, Dor- right? Dor- Doreen Green is Squirrel Girl in the comics. Right. That, that's her, that's her oh. alias. Oh. <laughs> I thought you meant because are they making a squirrel girl show? Uh, or a warrior show? Warriors. Yeah, supposedly. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. I thought, she was, I thought she was dating that actress. I was like, huh? yeah. See, that's what I thought you were going at too. So, yeah. you mean the actual comic book character? Yeah. <laughs> okay, now I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you gotta kind of get off road to follow the path that Mike takes right. us on. So, oh yes. my god. Oh, see, the, the, only, the only thing is missing. The only thing that's missing is like we, we just. Give you, give you go. If we can actually, you know, get the hellabus to work, is give you a ride in the hellabus so you can just see oh, yeah. where all the craziness goes. Yes, the, <laughs> it's not far. The hellabus. It's not the, far. The hellabus is what we created as a. It was uh, the story is that I found a VW microbus in the basement of our secret lair, and I took that and a jet from an old helicarrier, and so we used that to make what we call the hellabus so that we could like i don't know go on missions or whatnot but it, it's but i upgraded to the hellabago so we still have the hellabus for short trips but the hellabago is for longer trips because now you could actually sleep in the thing what's insurance yeah. coverage like on a vehicle like this i mean that's gotta be well we're, we're shield agents so we don't have to worry about oh, okay it. okay yeah <laughs> the running joke is we are at the bottom the bottom rung of shields funding ladder so uh you know we we don't get a zephyr we don't get a helicarrier we get a vw bus with a fan blade propeller on it hey something's better than nothing and the (laughs) crazy and the crazy it it doesn't go far because it it all goes The funny thing, though, is in last season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, when they finally get back to the present, they commandeer a vehicle so they can, like, blend in with everybody. Mm. And it was a VW microbus. Now, we've been doing the Hellabus thing for about three years now. So we're like somebody. We're like somebody's listening to us. Uh, yeah. We we count it as a reference to us. So there, there you go. There we you are go. counting that as a win. Yes. 
As you should. We, we don't get Marvel money for it, but that's okay. But that's okay. You get that recognition, and that's just as good. <laughs> yeah, because, you know. We're doing we, it for I, the exposure. Exactly. Yeah, we get – you You may not get dollars, but you get paid in exposure, and right. exposure is priceless. Copy, that's what credit, tell all, yeah. Is that what they tell writers? That's just what they tell the writers, right? That's what they tell everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I can't really afford to pay you, but you'll get exposure for yeah. this. Yeah. We're all, we're all very wealthy in exposure. If exposure was something somehow turned into dollars yeah, yeah. we'd all be in a better off position yeah, <laughs> oh yeah <into> that <laughs> yeah all of a sudden i got like seven figures in my in my uh exposure bank account, account because of exposure dollars you know? right. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is they, they they tout the you'll get exposure for this like dude if your exposure meant anything you would be able to pay me yeah exactly <laughs> exactly no that's true that's true <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, so on all the movies that you've worked on, uh, do any stand out in your mind as surprising you with the success? It's kind of like, you know, I had great exposure on that movie. Uh, it was a great learning experience, but I really didn't expect it to go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we touched about this a little bit last time. There was, um, you know, I got a chance to work on Icarus, uh, which ended up winning the Oscar, you know, for best documentary. And, you know, when, when we worked on it, we knew it was going to be a great movie. Um, it premiered at Sundance and Netflix bought it for a huge sum of money. It was like the highest they had paid for a documentary at Sundance. But to see it go all the way to winning an Academy Award and seeing director Brian Fogel take that award. And it was like, wow, this was a guy that I just literally was sitting with <laughs> last week finishing this movie, you know, is was kind of crazy to see. It was kind of crazy to be a part of that. Um, Tangerine by Sean Baker was another one um, that did really, really good. It was kind of known as like the iPhone movie, uh, which a lot of people didn't even know it was shot on an iPhone until it premiered at Sundance. And in the credits, it says shot on iPhone. Everybody in the theater was like, oh, my God, like what? Like they didn't even had no idea. Um, And then I get to put my own tally on there because City of Gold, when it actually opened in the U.K., um, actually was in the top 25 of sales. It was like, actually, it was in between, um, uh, it was in between Steven Spielberg's The Post and Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. And I was like, okay, this is like, this is like pretty good. Like, there you go. Yeah. Okay. You know, so that was kind of like our, that was kind of like a great moment for uh, the team and I to kind of have that come out in the UK, a a place where none of us have any ties to, and for it to do, uh, for the DVD and the VOD to do really good over there was really awesome to, to see, you know, and it kind of gave us some, some, uh, a little, you know, little thumbs up that we actually accomplished something. So, those are kind of my big ones that stick out of my head. Yeah. Cool. Uh, you kind of mentioned DVDs, uh, and we know that we've got so many different formats where you can uh, watch movies mm-hmm. now. You can do you can go on Netflix or Hulu or or download directly, uh, watch them on your mobile device, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, how, where do you see movies going format wise? in the near future. I mean, you see, you know, we, we saw Blockbuster go under. Right. Which, I'm surprised a lot of people when Blockbuster was at his peak, you were just kind of like, well, yeah, well that, that, that'll never be. And then, then you hear the, the CEO of Netflix saying, well, you know, we think 
DVDs are going to be extinct here. Right. Just if, uh, what what do you see going forward? Well, you know, one of, one of the things I'm concerned about is we seem to have this like oversaturation of um, VOD streaming services is now like everybody has their own service. I mean, we know Disney just pulled a bunch of stuff from Netflix uh, because they're opening up their own streaming service. Um, D- uh, DC has their own streaming content thing. And it's like, how many memberships are you going to have to pay for, you know, to get mm-hmm. all this content? I mean, it's it's a lot of competing streaming services and now you know you've got a lot of resurging interest in the theater because of all you know there was movie pass that really tried to do something aggressive obviously that kind of blew up on him but you know amc has a great program going on now you know the theater is trying to make a comeback um and i think with the streaming service especially with the way you're seeing a lot of cross promotion we're probably going to start seeing streaming services that offer some sort of day and date release as well that coincides you know with the with the theaters you know not everybody wants to go and see it at the theater so people want to watch it right at the comfort of their own home and giving them an option to actually pay for that as well as a streaming service. But it's going to be interesting to see how we can sustain because there's just so many different services. At at some point, people are just going to get burned out with all these subscriptions that are going on. There's got to be a balance. Basically trying to do something similar to what DirecTV is doing with day of release. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. I know I've had, uh, I know a few people who cut cable because of the expense, Mm -hmm. but you end up, you end up getting, two, three, four, five streaming services. Yeah, you're right back you're right back there. You're right yeah. back there. You know, yeah. I mean I mean now now I mean cable. Exactly. Yeah, I haven't either. And the thing is it's like I, I, I and I you know there's a couple and I, and I have Netflix, but Netflix isn't so bad but right. as far as our price goes. But I couldn't imagine, you know, no, you get you get this streaming service and you get this one because you know, this one is only showing this group of uh, movies from this company. Right. And, you know, and it was like, you know, if Netflix was a good deal because you were getting Disney stuff and Marvel stuff and everything. And now also, like, if you get Netflix, now you got to get the Disney one. Then you're going to probably have to get Hulu. Right. You know, and that's a lot. That's a lot, you know. Yeah. Well, at least right now with Hulu, the the mm-hmm. whole thing that there is, I think they're doing six dollars a month for a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then it goes, it'll go back to a regular thing afterwards. Mm-hmm. Okay, the regular pricing, but they're they're running a special right now, like. Six bucks more. And I think you're going to see more of that, just me personally, because like you said, Harry, when you get a saturation point, then these companies, these streaming service offerings are going to have to compete with one another. Right. And and in order to differentiate, it's kind of like, well, you know. Netflix is at nine ninety nine a month. We will we will do this for seven ninety nine a month, and right. yeah. that's what I hope because that's that's where the consumers actually went right. come out ahead of us. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and we also also too uh, remember Iger said Disney Plus is going to come in under the cost of, of everyone else. Well, so and step. Mm-hmm. But see, now I wonder if what will happen. I don't know if they're able to do this, but if they give you a discount. 
if you bundle Hulu and Disney Plus and Dis- and Disney Plus, they should. Yeah. Since you know, Disney's going to own at least fifty one percent. Right. You know, it's because it's, it's sort of like the truth is, like I didn't even think about like well when we got um, when we signed up for Amazon Prime, I was just thinking about it for the the shipping benefit. I wasn't really thinking about the streaming, but lately, like in the last year or so, mm-hmm. they've really upped their game on their content. Yeah. You know, and so now it's sort of like, you know, I'm getting the benefit of the shipping and I'm getting some premium content as well. Yeah. Well, let, let me pose this oh. question to you as, as a director. Mm-hmm. What, while you're doing your projects, are you thinking trying to get them out in the big screen to the theaters or are you kind of aiming towards, you know, hoping to pick up that, that large deal with someone like Netflix or Hulu? Yeah, you know, that, that's a great question because I know with, with the City of Gold, when we were making that, um, we knew because of the budget in which we were working and, you know, what platform we were trying to get released, we knew that theatrical was kind of going to be out of the question for that. And, and the thing you have to know also, especially when it comes to independent film and theatrical is, is if you're trying to make your money back on your production, when you go to theatrical route, you basically have to make a decision. It's either you're going to go, okay, we're going for exposure, right? We're going to put it out so that everybody can see what we did and make <laughs> no money back, or you're going to try and make your money back on your production. You're going to go through the VOD services. The problem is when you go to theatrical because your distributor ends up having to pay so much money in publicity and promotional fees that you're pretty much going to be in the red, you know, before, for a while, before your movie right. can start making um, funds back. And, you know, the, the the producer, the guy who funded City of Gold, who's also the writer, you know, we, we decide, okay, we're going to make this one because we want to be able to see, can we make a project in this budget level and also make it profitable? So we knew right. things like Netflix, Hulu, like the VOD streaming services, Amazon, iTunes, that was going to be the route to go with that project because that was an independently produced production. Um, mm-hmm. With some of the future productions that I'm hoping to mount and hoping to get some studio involvement, of course, that I would love to get a traduce, traditional uh, theatrical release. Uh, the project I just shot last weekend was a proof of concept um, for a feature that we're hoping to get you know, big funding for and get big names attached. And that's something I would love to see get released in a theatrical environment because I think it fits that that sphere kind of perfectly. But it all really just depends on what is your end goal. Are you trying to get something out, get a name for yourself, build up some credibility, or are you trying to make a production that you've got to return profit for your investors? Because I think that determines a lot on what you want. I mean, we all love going to the theaters and watching watching movies. You know, we all right. love that. But right. it's 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 hard to sustain that as an independent filmmaker, whereas these VOD streaming services make it possible for someone to actually do this, you know, as a living. You know, you could probably right. bang out more movies going through VOD streaming than you can if you just try to get them all in theatrical. You may not make enough money back to sustain your next efforts. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so to to piggyback off of what Mike said, uh, so is it a viable option to, I don't know, let's say make it have some kind of deal with Sundance Mm -hmm. so that you your movies go, say, direct, say directly to their on demand service so that you're not necessarily streaming like you would with Netflix or Amazon, but you're still sort of getting that same benefit 
benefit from a uh, a cable company yeah. or a cable network like you know Sundance or a company like that. Yeah, that I mean, something viable too. It, it definitely, definitely, because usually what ends up happening with those deals is you're also trying to leverage kind of your international releases too so usually if you get a good deal if you get someone like sundance channel or someone who's going to distribute you domestically then that usually increases your chances of getting a really good international deal Mm -hmm. um obviously if you're going into the sundance film festival and you make a killing there and netflix is going to come and drop five six million dollars on your project well then of course you've got a win-win right because you're getting a buyout that's bigger than any other vendor is going to be offering. Plus, you've got that Netflix audience where you're guaranteed to get tons of people viewing your 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 project, viewing your creative art. Um, and also Netflix, is, as we've seen with what happened with Icarus, is they're starting to make serious push for awards season. You know, I think Icarus was kind mm-hmm. of a pioneer for Netflix, and it won't be the last. Um, it won't be the last, you know, Academy Award they win. I mean, even just this past um, round of Golden Globe nominations, I believe they surpassed HBO um, in nominations for content, which was huge. Because we know mm-hmm. HBO has been the king, you know, of, yeah. of all those nominations. Well, yeah, yeah. You yeah. out-nominate HBO, the yeah, that's that means that's, you've arrived. Yeah, exactly. So that I I really think we're kind of seeing that paradigm shift where people now are really starting to look at Netflix, and if, even if you look at some of the original content uh, they've created, while not everything has been you know great, they're definitely giving filmmakers um, a a sort of freedom. Um, you know, that they aren't getting somewhere else. You know, I looked at that movie, um, which I honestly didn't like, but it was the, it was, uh, uh, what's it called? Mute? Mute. It was by Duncan Jones, you know, who did Moon, um, David Bowie's son. Um, Mm -hmm. He's been trying to make that movie for like 15 years, you know, and Netflix probably didn't even bat an eye at giving him the funding to go make that that movie, you know, and they're allowing some of, some of the artists we love to take risks, I feel like, on projects that they usually wouldn't take because a studio wouldn't give them that backing without really having their hands on it. You know, for better or worse, they're, I can see they're trying to keep the artistry pure a little bit. Uh, which is great to see, which is why I'm definitely, you know, pro Netflix. Um, you know, if that opportunity comes around, I don't think any viable filmmaker would turn down okay. a really good Netflix offer, you know, unless, right, you know, no, you're like, God, no. yeah, I mean, unless you're like an ultra purist, I mean, like, you know, Christopher Nolan, that guy, every movie definitely should be IMAX 35 millimeter or whatever special film thing he wants to do with it because he's who he is. But for mm-hmm. the rest of us who aren't Christopher Nolan, you know, it's Netflix is a great platform for us to get our movies on a high end platform and, and get it seen to a lot of people. It's a really great opportunity. Right. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Man. So what kind of movie would you like to work on next? Uh, well, you know, I, I, the, the project we just shot last weekend, this proof of concept was actually a Western film. Um, and it's this uh, really cool reimagination we kind of did of the Lone Ranger character um, where he is actually the son of an outlaw. He's the son of the villain. And he was abandoned and then adopted by a family of lawmen raised and then decided to follow the justice, decided to follow the way of the badge, uh, which puts him on a collision course with his blood father, who's like this master outlaw. So he's got to basically hunt down his own 
bloodline and it's got kind of these um cool comic book kind of elements to it um we're going to be i'm going to be releasing some production stills from that on my instagram in the next day or two um and it was an awesome shoot um really really cool experience and i think you'll kind of see it's kind of got that graphic novel kind of look to it um it's not your typical western film you can really kind of feel my comic book roots in it um and so we're trying to get that one developed into a feature and then i've also got this sci-fi that i've been developing for about 13 years called the forever man which is this really kind of high concept transhumanism style movie um which is kind of this futuristic take on like the john henry storyline where oh yeah yeah, i got a big pop for that so of a man who kind of you know he fought and died trying to beat the steam engine it's kind of this man who fights against this world where humans have become obsolete and he's trying to prove why human nature still matters um in this futuristic world which kind of plays on things we're seeing now where people are being phased out um by computers and phased Mm -hmm. out by technology it's where do people fit that don't want to conform to this whole tech, technology-driven, you know, environment? Where right. do they fit in this world? And so it's funny. There's, 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 like I said, there's, there's points in that that have been developed since I was 13, and to see some of those things come to fruition, you know, over the past five, six years have been crazy. Um, and so hopefully, that's after I get done with this Western project, that's the next one that I definitely want to develop. Yeah. Okay, that's nuts, because I just got finished reading volumes one and two of the Lone Ranger, or the Dynamite Lone Ranger series. Yes, yeah, yeah, I, I would show you the book. I, ha- I had it here, but I gave it to my director of photography to use for visual references. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I want it to look like this. <laughs> it's great when you just about. hand that, a comic book to somebody. That's it, like, that's it. I just volumes had it. One and two. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, I, that, okay, that's just crazy, because I, yeah. I, I was reading that, and um, and I was just like, it, I... I There was this part of me that said, you know what, as much as I like I I didn't care for the last Lone Ranger movie, but probably my favorite Lone Ranger movie. And it and it might not. And and I know I know that was panned, Mm -hmm. but I loved the legend of the Lone Ranger. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, and and the thing was, there are elements of that in that in this series here. And I really I liked that, and I liked how, even though it it remained true to the Lone Ranger Bible, yeah, there 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 were some dark elements to it as well, which made sense, especially with Tano, yes. you know, and so. That's just nuts that you were talking about this. I, yeah. uh, what's your Instagram? Because I'm gonna <laughs> follow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It's uh, my my Instagram is SoCal underscore Hal. And uh, no, no, funny enough, the the project actually started life as it was going to be a Lone Ranger. A fan film because Robbie right. Allen, who plays the lead in City of Gold, and he was also in my Hellblazer short film. You know, we always get these messages from people saying, "Hey, you guys should do another fan film. You guys should do another Hellblazer fan film." And uh, ever since I've known Robbie, who he's kind of like a real life cowboy. Like he comes from Northern California, his family owns horses, and he knows how to ride and do all that stuff. You know, he always told me he's like, "Man, I'd really love to do um, a Lone Ranger, kind of like, and not like the the t- Johnny Depp Tonto one, like a real kind of gritty." one and you know I was itching to do something new because we had finally gotten City of Gold through distribution and release and that was like a four year journey and I was like you know what I want to direct again let's do something and so we went to a couple of the comic book stores around here in LA Meltdown Comics before it closed down um, a couple other spots and just grabbed up some like the one you have the issue you have yeah and um, I wrote this script together and as as 
as we read over it, I started playing with some ideas and it took a life of its own. Um, like I really wanted to make a stronger Tonto character. I wanted to make it female and I wanted to make this female driven Comanche warrior woman and make Tonto more involved. And um, yeah. the script just took a whole new life with these all new characters. And so that's what we shot. And yeah, I'll, you'll see the stills. It came out awesome. It looks great. Dude, I'm... <laughs> Yeah. Okay, that that okay. So this week, okay, I just had a bunch of weirdness happening this week. Yeah. <laughs> on the day that they announced the Shang Chi movie, yeah, I was listening to the radio and I heard kung fu fighting that morning. <laughs> okay, and then they and then on and that was like on Monday, and then on the Tuesday, I was heading. I was I was. Uh, my book club was meeting that night. Uh-huh. I was driving home. Oh, I was driving to pick up my wife, and I heard Christmas and Hollis. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay. So then we get to my book club meeting, and a friend of mine gives me one of those ornaments with John John McClane oh, crawling wow. through. And I'm like, okay. And I said, could this get any crazier? Because yes. my wife says, oh, oh, great. You're you're starting to do the whole. Well, you, I send it out to the universe, and it comes back to me. And I'm like, right. and and I'm like, okay, yeah. And I said, but I said, I, if I'm sending something out, I want it to be something cool. <laughs> and okay, and this is pretty cool, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. No, it was. It's funny though. That exact issue is one of the ones I have. Um, and and not to spoil anything, but you remember that scene where I think he revo- reveals himself to um, Butch Cavendish, where he's like in the confessional booth, kind of at the yes. end. Like, yeah. So so remember that frame because it makes a it makes an homage in in the short that we did. So oh. that scene plays out pretty cool. So oh, and it's called it's dude. called the it's called the Redeemer. The film is called the Redeemer. The one that we're coming out with. Okay. All yes. right, man. Well, I'm following you on Instagram for sure. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Where else? Besides- Maybe you can spin this into a picture for the Rawhide Kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I you know what? Why it? not? Mm-hmm. Why not? You yeah. Know? Bring in Red why, Wolf. Right? Why not? <laughs> Do uh, a, a proper red. Ha- uh- Rawhide Kid and Red Wolf movie, because I mean they, that last Red Wolf ser- series lasted what six issues? Yeah, yeah. Red Wolf's one of those characters to me that just it, he never gets the respect he deserves. Right? No, yeah. no. Right. Well, that was always my problem, especially with um, you know, like the Lone Ranger with Tonto. Is the problem with that character is it was like that character will follow follows John Reed, follows the Lone Ranger to the ends of Earth for like what reason? It's like literally like, in, in every version of the Lone Ranger, it's always Tonto. Like I will help you avenge your brother's death, and it's like why? <laughs> it's like you literally have nothing else better to do than to just you know. And that's one thing I didn't yeah. like about the Johnny Depp one is they at least tried to give him a reason as yeah. to why he was on this quest. Um, but you know, I, we've had content come out now that's finally really starting to make strong Native American characters. Like yes. Westworld had that awesome um, oh. episode, which I was like, yeah. yes, fi- finally, you know, something that's really showing. Native Americans as a strong um, light, and that's something we did with this short. Um, the actress we casted was true indigenous, um, and you know she kicks ass as the role, and that was something we wanted to make sure we did uh, right. My wife is also a producer on that, um, and together we kind of looked at all the casters like okay we're casting a real indigenous person we wanted to make sure the representation is you know accurate um mm-hmm. and this is something that 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 someone who's native can watch and be like yeah that's an awesome 
representation of our characters, not yeah. just like they're not just a patsy following the Lone no. Ranger type character. They've got their own quest. And in this proof of concept, you really you, you want to know, you know, what's going to happen to him. But also I want to see more of her character. I want to see more of her storyline and what what happens. All right, sir, you are followed. Gotcha. Thank you. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, that, you know, and we know that, you know, that that there are that, you know, there were women warriors within 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 that Native American culture. And it is so sorely underrepresented or unrepresented, uh, at at least on the big screen. So I, I think that's exciting, especially if we're taking something that is as iconic as the Lone Ranger and we're putting our putting you're putting your own spin on it right you know yeah, i'm looking forward i'm looking forward to everybody to see that i think it's gonna be i'm hoping it's well received i think it's gonna look awesome <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm jazzed man wow yeah i'm glad to hear it <laughs> cool besides instagram where else can people find you online um i do have a personal website harrylock4.com the number four.com um, and I'm also on Twitter, also as SoCal underscore Hal. You can find me there. I don't use Twitter as much as I use Instagram. Um, and then I'm on Facebook too, Harry Lock 4. You can find me there as well. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on and chatting Marvel and just having yeah. having a great, not only talking about <laughs> the films you worked on, but also just chatting in general with us. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> Anytime. I, I, think, yeah. I think we have some great fantasy castings. That yeah. <laughs> we can yeah. get down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Watch out for yeah. my Timothy Oliphant uh gambit. <laughs> I, I, I'm looking at you know, even actually even I'm more, I I'm more interested in your blade choice. Oh, okay, good. Yes. Good. Yes. Good, good. And, you know, even you. even though you don't have a problem with a certain actor that yeah. I may I I you I like you. So yeah. it's cool. <laughs> it, it's it's still cool. So awesome. you know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So, Sweet, man. Cool. Uh, you guys have any final questions or final thoughts before we wrap it up? No, it's. I'll just uh, echo the statement already. It's been great having you on. I appreciate. We. I know. I appreciate you coming on. I'm sure I speak for the for the other two gentlemen as well. And because yeah. this has been this has been a great great chat. It, yeah, it, it no, doesn't exactly. it, it doesn't feel like a sit down interview. Like, oh, we'll describe your favorite kind of tree then. <laughs> but uh, no, it's just anytime we can cut up and laugh around with with a guest it's always a great great thing absolutely absolutely i'll do it anytime with you guys this is great if you you had if you had a chance to redo x-men days of future past just how mauve would you go ah you know (laughs) i think it should have been done in a very ed wood over the top style acting Could you imagine? Could you imagine Magneto with these like Shakespearean soliloquies and just his lamenting mutant um, um, destruction and little spotlight comes on him and you know even better a musical Days of Future Past as a musical would actually be quite brilliant. You know and uh, you know what and uh, (laughs) Hugh Jackman would did like automatically sign on. Hugh Jackman sings so that would have been like. And and, and train. Patrick Stewart can sing. See, I, see? I can see this, and you know what? It would not suck. And, <laughs> I'm and, telling you. And Trank in Shatner esque style. Oh yeah. Look at yes. my Sentinels. <laughs> Are we doing Space Pants the sequel here? There. Oh, why'd you have to bring that back? <laughs> Depends. Are there mutants? See, see, this is perfect. I'm telling you. 
That's the, oh they missed that. They missed that tone. That's a good one. <laughs> they did. They did. Oh man. I, I, I think I think we went with a little more fuchsia than than mauve. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Well, that's true. On that note, Jarvis, <laughs> if you would please. All wrapped up here, sir. Will there be anything else? Nope. Just time to go dark. All right. Speaking of mob, my wife just bought a book about the story of the creation of mob. I'm not making this up. Okay. It, it, it was like it, we, we were in this used bookstore and it was like in the science section because, you know, they, like they come up with these covers get name for it and make why is it so different from everything else is she she found this book on the creation of moth wow i didn't know yeah. who would write that book <laughs> you know I, I think apparently it was in the same area there she found like a a layman's expl- explanation of uh, to string theory so no no chaos theory chaos wow. theory. yeah Interesting. wow <laughs> 